Take your Bibles, turn to the New Testament, first book uh, in the New Testament, uh, Matthew chapter 6 is uh, where we're going to be at here this evening, Matthew chapter 6. We are done with our series on the one another's, uh, as we ended with praying last week, which is what really is the chief thing we can do for one another, is to take each other before the throne of God and do that whether we're doing well or even sickly when it comes to our health, uh, both spiritually and physically. Uh, It is a privilege for us to be able to go to the Lord in prayer for each other. Uh, When we get out of uh, the season here, uh, we get back to January, uh, we will be looking at some of the Psalms. Uh, We take just a chunk of the Psalms and usually do about 10 to 15, and uh, then uh, go to a different uh, subject. So it's been a little while since we've been in the Psalms. And uh, we'll go back to that and uh, then kind of work our way through. So uh, that's uh, where we are heading this evening. I am an individual who really doesn't like shopping. Uh, my idea of shopping is going in and it's, I guess it's more like a hunting shopping. It's a, a targeted shopping. You go in, find what you're looking for and get out. Um, you don't like wander the, the shopping uh, stores and the like. Uh, and there's people who do uh, the other kind of shopping where you stroll through and you find things and stores love people like that because uh, those are the type of people that will buy more stuff because they're just strolling through and really have no purpose. They're just uh, going through. But shopping fervor gets to a a frenzied pace when we get to this season of the year. Uh, I'm amazed at uh, Black Friday no longer being on Black Friday. It's the Black Friday before the Black Friday and the month before the Black Friday, and they have all these sales now. Uh, And part of it is because their stores are trying to compete with the online market and be able to do that. And and people have kind of gotten away from that whole frenzy of getting up at 4.30 in the morning to be there when the stores open, when they have the specials. There are still some people that will do that kind of thing. But it is amazing uh, as you look at statistics and you look at uh, the Christmas season, how much money is spent uh, on the season on gifts uh, for others, but even gifts on self. And you just realize uh, that we in our society are very materialistic. We like stuff. We want stuff. And it doesn't matter, it's a problem, uh, as we see in Matthew chapter 6, it's a problem in every age for every age. doesn't matter how old you are, how old, young you are, there is a, a problem of wanting to get stuff and buy stuff and have stuff. And, it, and it's just a part of our life. And I was thinking that this past week we had gone through the book of Job. And Job, uh, in the losing of everything... Job chapter 1, he loses uh, his cattle, he loses his sheep, he loses his his camels, he loses his children. And he just simply makes this declaration, naked came I from my mother's womb, naked shall I return. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. And then a statement that's just incredible, if you really think about it, blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm okay with that. And you kind of go, well, that's nice for Job, okay? That, that's a nice philosophy for Job to have, and I'm glad that got him through uh, life. Uh, but 
it is something that we saw in other passages of Scripture. When we were looking at this past Wednesday, we went to Philippians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul gave a statement on the fact of whatsoever uh, state I am in, therewith I will be content. And you go, well, okay, what, what was he writing from? He was writing from prison. Really didn't have a whole lot of possessions of his own. Whatever he had was what people brought to him food-wise. And he's writing at times, and we see in prison where he's going, could you bring me a cloak or could you you know, send some books or that? Uh, he's at the mercy of uh, people on the outside to supply him with things. And he just kind of said, I, I, whatever state I am, whether I'm abased or I bound, I've learned whatever state to, that I'm in therewith to be content. And I wanted to go this evening to the chief passage that is uh, in the Lord's teaching on the idea of contentment. There's several passages, but uh, this passage that we're going to look at tonight is one that addresses uh, materialism, possessions, and our attitude towards it. Uh, this passage in Matthew chapter 6 is right in the midst of uh, the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount starts in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, goes right on to the end of chapter 7, and you go, uh, what was the Sermon on the Mount? Well, the Sermon on the Mount was basically the Lord's challenge for those who are going to be a part of His kingdom. Uh, it starts off with those blesseds, uh, the Beatitudes that are there, and basically what it's saying uh, there in those Beatitudes, these are individuals that are a part of the kingdom of God. They're individuals who have re recognized their own uh, sin. They are sorrowing. They're mournful. They realize they're bankrupt. They really have nothing to impress God. Uh, they are ones who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They realize they don't have it in their own. Uh, they need it in someone. And so the introductory statement there of the Beatitudes is really a declaration of the individual that's a part of the kingdom of God. This is how you get to be a part of it. And then you're going to be a different. And it starts off with the fact that you're going to be different in the way that you are. And the illustration that's used is that you're going to be light and salt. Okay, you're going to be different than the world, and, and you're going to not have the perspective of the world on a lot of issues. And then there's instructions where the Lord goes through in chapter 5 where he says there's teaching on certain subjects, and here's what people say, but I say unto you, sometimes they were right in the past, sometimes they added stuff, but he says, I'm going to say unto you, you need to understand these things this way. This teaching that has been taught for years is off. And he goes and explains this. And then you get into Matthew chapter 6 and you have uh, what our worship is supposed to be like. It starts off with the fact of how we're supposed to, to give our alms. You go, what's that? Our offerings. How are we supposed to pray? These type of things. Uh, how we're supposed to do it in what manner? Not the man in certain manners in certain ways. But then you get to, uh, once you get done with the, the teaching on public uh, worship and how we worship in public, uh, there's a, a statement in, in a sense of our own personal lives, what our attitudes and worries are like, how we're supposed to deal with them. And that section starts in verse number 19, where the Lord makes this statement, lay not up for yourself treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. 
The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, the whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? Verse 24, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. And you go, what's mammon? Mammon is possessions, goods. You can't serve those things. Now, I just want to, before we go any further on this, when you read this passage, there is a lot of misunderstanding of what the Lord is actually saying here about laying up treasure in heaven and then not laying it up here on earth. Understand this, the Lord is not forbidding having possessions. Okay, that, that was the, uh, the mistake of monasticism in the Middle Ages was that, uh, that possessions were somehow evil and sin and so they would give up all of their possessions and all of their goods not to have any possessions and the thought was, we're more godly because we have no possessions. And you go, well, what's wrong with it? You read throughout the Scripture that the Lord makes very clear that He's the one who gives us goods and He gives us the things that we have and He gives us possessions. And, and these things are something to be, well, enjoyed richly. The Lord gives us these things to live life and enjoy life and experience life. So the Lord's, the Lord's not forbidding here having possessions. Nor is the Lord forbidding saving you go, okay, what do you mean with that? Uh, that it sounds like here, you're not supposed to lay up in an account somewhere and have money sitting there or goods uh, set aside uh, for that rainy day that the Lord's forbidding that. You kind of go, that, that's not what this passage is saying also. I mean, you look at the book of Proverbs and the book of Proverbs says a wise person is one who's storing and harvesting and uh, harvest time and storing away for those times where nothing's growing that you harvest and harvest season you store away for those winter months where nothing grows and you have enough to be able to live on uh there is that understanding of a and and understand proverbs proverbs is god's book on wise living living life out how do you live life well there is planning you don't put your faith in that goods, but you at least, the, the, as the Lord says, a wise person is, is planning ahead, recognizes what the seasons are going to be like, what's coming forward, and there is saving. So this passage here, what the Lord's saying, he's not forbidding the fact of having a savings account or just saving money. And I also want to make sure that you understand this, that the Lord is not forbidding enjoying things on this earth. I mean, when God originally created this world, it was for mankind to enjoy, to be a part of, to see God's creation, uh, and to enjoy it. So the things that are in this world were originally created to be enjoyed, reflecting praise back to God, of course, uh, for the glory of what he's created. But the Lord's not forbidding this. And in fact, there's a passage that uh, is given uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 4 where it talks about people who forbid enjoying certain things. 
that are good and right. First uh, Timothy 4 says this, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. And these type of individuals are forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from certain meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. He's making a comment that there were certain people saying, no, you must fast. You can't enjoy those foods, those things. And, and really, he's going after the Jews who were promoting a lifestyle of avoiding certain foods in the life. And the Lord just simply says, uh, those are supposed to be received with thanksgiving. Those that know the truth. Who, who's given those things? Who's created those things? But then it says this in verse 4, for every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. There is a passage that's pretty strong about the fact that God gives us uh, things to enjoy. And as you look in First Timothy 6, uh, 17, uh, a statement to the rich in the world. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to abstain from. That's not what it says. It says it gives him all things richly to enjoy. And you read, uh, and I just think back uh, a couple summers ago, we went through the book of Ecclesiastes in our, our Sunday school time uh, and uh, series there. And you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, you read that book and at times you can feel rather morbid about the fact of enjoying anything or doing anything. But the statement there is, is that when you do those things in life and enjoy working on certain projects and you're creating certain things and you're obtaining certain things, that there's an understanding that there's a God in heaven that you're responsible, uh, responsible to and that you live life in relation to him with the goods and possessions that you have. There's a real emptiness if you just live for the things of this life without any connection to God, understanding who he is, what he's like, uh, and what we have to look forward to in heaven that will make everything in this life pale in comparison that we have to look forward to. Uh, but there is the idea in Ecclesiastes that, that you have the right to, and it, it makes the statement, it sounds almost Epicurean, eat, drink, and be merry. And it's not because for tomorrow we die. Is the statement of this is that you have a God who's given you these things to enjoy. But as Ecclesiastes says, remember this, you do have to stand before God and give account for how you use and interact with those things. So understand when the Lord's saying here not to treasure up things here on the earth, it's not saying to go around and never have any fun, never have any joy, never have any pleasure in this life. Just be morbid. That's not what he's saying. So you say, what, what is he saying? Well, what I'm supposed to be doing as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, as a part of the kingdom of God, if I'm a follower of him, my focus should be on heaven and God's desires, what God delights in. Okay, that ought to be the focus of my life, the central, central uh, idea of my life. You know why? Well, because frustrating, or it is frustrating to focus on things in this life as if they're the only thing. You know why? Well, he gives in verse 24, or excuse me, verse 24, verse 19, lay not for yourself treasures upon the earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves do break through and steal. 
do you realize all the possessions that you have are, are not eternally guaranteed? And oftentimes you find that uh, dissatisfaction happens real quick. You buy something and within a few hours you're dissatisfied because you bought a, a piece of clothing and it's already got a snag in it or you spilt something on it or uh, you've torn it or you, you get a car and it's already got a scratch on it. And, and you think about the fact that most of those possessions won't last forever. They're going to get uh, moth-eaten. Now, we don't have that problem as much as they used to have. Uh, it used to be that clothes smelled like mothballs because they were trying to keep the moths from eating it, and then it put off that horrid smell uh, after, afterwards. But it was to try and keep the moths from eating the clothes. You think about rust. Uh, as soon as you purchase something, uh, it's already getting tarnished. And if that's not enough, you've got individuals who are wanting what you have and they will do whatever they can to have it because they want your possessions and so they steal it to make money or to gain that possession for themselves. And so there, there's a really, if you, you spend your life focusing on things here, you kind of go, it's going to be frustrating because things are going to break down, fall apart, or be taken away. You say, well, what's, you know, frustration is found in focus on earthly things. You say, well, what's, where's satisfaction? Well, satisfaction is found in a focus on heavenly things. You ought to write next to this passage here in Matthew chapter 6, uh, this reference, Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. Colossians 3, the Apostle Paul writes to the church there at Colossae. He says this, if, you've been or if ye then have been risen with Christ... What's the idea? If you're saved, I mean, put it in generic terms there. If you're saved, you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You, you died with him on the cross. You've been uh, raised to newness of life because your faith in him, uh, your union with him. If you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things in the earth. For ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Focusing on treasures in heaven is not looking to store up things in heaven. It's to remind us that the things of heaven are eternal. The stuff here is temporary. You know, the passage in 1 Peter chapter 1 where it talks about those things in heaven, that, that the glory doesn't fade away of them, that they are unvarnished and untarnished uh, in, this, uh, in that eternal realm. This verse is the direct opposite of the, the previous verse. The proper decision will be made about how to use the things of this earth when a focus on heaven is a daily routine. So as you go through, as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, your focus ought to be on heaven and God's desire. But then this, the things of this earth can become cataracts that distort our vision. Some of you uh, have had this experience, and I think it's something that most people will experience in their life uh, as they get further along as you age. Uh, you have buildup uh, behind your lens that uh, is, uh, becomes really a kind of a milky kind of uh, clearing or a yellowish kind of blockage that is there. And it really changes your perception of what life is like, what things look like. 
And because of the glories of technology now, you can have what is known as cataract surgery, where sometimes they go about that they change the lens or they go about cleaning the, the area behind uh, the lenses there. And one of the things that people find out when they have cataract surgery, A, they can see better, but one of the other things that they realize is that colors suddenly show up. What we don't realize is that as we live and with the effects of lighting and the sun actually distorts our view of coloring in life. And so when you get a new lens, suddenly you're going, wow, what, you know, I didn't realize that, that my furniture was that color. Maybe it's time to change. Uh, it doesn't match anything or these type of things that may go on. But we understand that from a physical standpoint, that if we have something behind our lens that's there, that's fogging things up, it, it makes us very difficult for us to see things correctly. And, and why the Lord suddenly, and it, I always found it just kind of weird as a, a child and as a teenager reading this passage where you're talking about treasure and then all of a sudden he starts talking about the eye and you're going why is he talking about the eye i mean he gets to the end and he's talking about you know you can't serve god and mammon you can't serve god and possessions what is this eye thing right in the middle there in verse number 22 the light of the body is the eye if therefore the the eye be single thy whole body shall be full of light I mean, for us, the eye is a window. It allows us to be able to see uh, into uh, the world around us and be able to see that. But a clouded window makes things more difficult to see. I mean, I think of this, and this is one of the cruel things that uh, kids do when you're young, especially if you get glasses when you're young. You know, your friends, and you put that in quote, come up and they do what? They put their finger on your glasses you know they think this is entertaining you know because they don't have glasses but look i can smudge your glasses and whatever and, and you have to go about the process of finding some sort of thing to wipe the glasses back down to be able to see properly and that type of thing when we are focused uh, on possessions as the most important thing uh, that is going to cloud our vision the things that we really need to be seeing, the things that we really need to be taking in and looking at. I mean, the single eye that you have described there in, in verse number 22, the idea is there is this is an individual who's generous with possessions. The idea of single comes from a word that means liberal or give freely. I mean, it's used in passages like James 1 and verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally. You go, well, I'd rather have it be conservatively. That's not what we're, you know, we're not talking in political sense here. Liberal is the idea of free, freely doing this. That God gives us freely and abradeth not, and it shall be given unto him. Uh, the Philippians were, were talked about as being individuals who gave out of their poorness and gave very freely. And with this idea of this passage, if thine eye be evil, verse 23, you're going to miss out on certain things. Uh, you're going to miss out. The whole body is full of darkness. If therefore the light in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? If you're sitting and looking at possessions and that's how you're focusing on life and what's going on around you is what your possessions are doing, you're not seeing the things that you really need to see. You're actually in darkness. You're not able to see the light. 
You're not able to see the things of God. You can't see uh, the opportunities that are there for you. And so the statement about uh, the fact of the things of earth can become cataracts that destroy, distort your spiritual vision, your vision of God, that can be the case. In 1 Timothy makes very clear uh, to individuals uh, in chapter 6 where it talks about this, that the love of money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say money is. It says the setting of your affection on these things, which we find out in that passage, it also says this, if people set their affection on possessions and make that their goal, it drowns men in destruction and perdition and it does certain things. It brings them to errors and they err from the truth. If we focus on the things of this life and getting the possessions of this life is our only and sole focus in life, we're going to perhaps err from the faith. We'll do things that we would never have considered doing if we were understanding what the scripture said, but because the possession or something uh, is uh, clouding our vision, we're willing to do things that aren't right in order to keep that possession or maintain that possession, whatever it may be. See, a, a citizen that's a, a person who's a part of the kingdom of heaven, that's a follower of God, can't possibly have two affections. And that's what verse 24 is getting at. Either God is the most important thing to you, or your possessions are the most important thing to you. But there's no in-between ground. You really can't work the two of them, uh, hurdle from one to the other and be able to do this. And it says this, no man can serve two masters. You go, why? Because both masters have certain demands. Can you imagine a servant trying to work for two masters and one saying, I want my meal right now, and the other one's going, I want my meal right now. You know, we talk about cloning and people go, you know, well, maybe I could get a second of me and we can, you know, we're, no, it's an impossibility. You can't serve two masters. I mean, the pursuit of things in this life cannot equal the pursuit of God. It's impossible to make both the Lord, both Lord, uh, both lords of one's life. There's an argument of many people in our society. I can pursue after things and give myself to it and still serve Jesus. And do that effectively. This is a lie that many uh, in uh, our younger generation is falling into. They think that they can have everything in this life, the music, the stuff, uh, the entertainment, and everything else, and stir, still serve Jesus. It doesn't work. You just can't do it. The reality is, uh, if you love something, you will hate something else. Okay, I mean, that, that's the reality. If you love something, it's going to exclude something. We understand this in marriage uh, and the, the, the vows that are there. It's not saying that you're going to go uh, when you declare uh, at the, the altar, you declare your love and uh, vow uh, to be with that person, that you're going to hate everybody else. But it does mean you're going to set your affection and set your focus on someone rather than everybody else. There's a difference. So it is when a person's a follower of God, that they set their focus on God, they love Him so much, it will seem like they hate the other stuff. 
They're not spending as much time with it. They're not spending their focus on that. Uh, You don't seem to love those things. Love demands your time and attention. You understand that? If you love something, it's going to require time. It's going to require attention. Uh, And so if you say you love God, it's going to require time, attention, focus, if you love your possessions, you'll give your, yourself to those possessions. And, and if it becomes your focus, it will take up all of your time and all of your affection. That word mammon originally meant something entrusted to a person for safekeeping. It was understood as a term of responsibility and not ownership. Over time, that word mammon became a bad term because it was something in which people trusted I mean, here's how we ought to look at our possessions. They are something entrusted to us by God. He's giving them into our trust to take care of, but they're not ours. And what happens with those things that God entrusts to us, as it says here, it sometimes becomes the thing that we put our trust in rather than in the one who's entrusted us with the possession who's given us the possession it becomes our focus it becomes the thing that we go if i have these things it will bring satisfaction or safety or care if i just have these things and this is a passage that's just simply promoting the stewardship view of possessions We have to go back to Job where he says, Naked came I from my mother's womb, naked shall I return. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. I really don't own my possessions. Now, we we have this for for people in society to understand, I'm the one who owns this and I'm the one who owns that. Uh, That that is a, a, a thing to help society function as far as organization. But in reality, I don't own it. It's not mine. God owns it. You go, well, how do I know that? Because when I die, it's no longer mine. God distributes it to someone else. Gives it to someone else for them to use while they have life and energy. I mean, the Lord is promoting this fact that we don't simply just go, and we said at the beginning, we're not abandoning possessions and we're not uh, giving up enjoying this life. But if I understand the possessions that I have are just merely things entrusted to me to use in a way that honors and reflects back to my God, that is good use of what I have, that's what a citizen of the kingdom of heaven is going to be like. Citizen of the kingdom of heaven's got their focus on realizing I'm going to be in heaven someday, enjoying the presence of God and being with Him. The possessions I have right now will be something temporarily behind me when I enjoy the eternal glories of heaven. And so, for us, as we are in this season of, you know, I have to have this, and you have to have this, and you must have this. The fact is, is I really don't need to have those things if they come into my possession because someone gives them to me as a gift or I have the ability to buy this and it seems a a good uh, purchase for my life. Okay, that's fine as long as that doesn't become my affection. Because if you do that, you'll find it very dissatisfying. 
It's amazing how many people are dissatisfied by the end of Christmas Day. You go, how do you know that? Because there's a lot of people shopping the day after Christmas. And what you oftentimes find, and I'm humored by this at times, we usually go out uh, the morning after Christmas and buy all the Christmas ornaments that we wouldn't spend the you know $100,000 on, which we wouldn't anyhow, but uh, spend for full price and you get it for like 90% off. It's fantastic. You know, you buy your Christmas cards like that. You go, okay, that, that's good. But I'm amazed at how many people are there returning stuff. A, because they didn't like it. Or B, it's already broken. And you're just kind of going, there's a lot of, you know, say there's a lot of people happy and satisfied at Christmas and you usually get done. You're going, no, there's not. There's a whole lot of people that are unsatisfied and unhappy because they, A, didn't get what they wanted. B, it didn't work out the way they thought it was. It wasn't as satisfying as they uh, thought it was going to be. And they become very dissatisfied. And you go, why? It's because they're viewing those possessions as the end, the goal. You know, this, this is what brings happiness. And you're going, no, if you go through the Christmas season and you realize this, I've got the greatest gift in the world. I have God's Son who's been given to me. And everything else is bonus. Everything else that God gives me is just extra stuff. I, I'm never going to... Now, understand this. I'm never going to lose the possession of the Savior that I have. I'm never going to lose that. I will of everything else, but I have the Savior. So I'm, I'm completely satisfied uh, if I lose everything like Job did. Or I'm living okay and that, and I just simply go, the Lord's been good. He's a good God. He is. He will be for eternity. Praise the Lord. And it may be that uh, he entrusts us uh, because we're responsible enough not to, to get uh, a focus on possessions. He sometimes allows people to be, by the, as the world standard is, uh, wealthy. And uh, the wealth is not their focus. They simply realize this is a gift that I can use to benefit God and reflect glory back to him. Uh, I have enough in Christ. I mean, it's sad when you think about, and I remember this statement of John Rockefeller. They said, how much money is enough money? And he said this, just one dollar more. He was the wealthiest man of his day without question. And yet he's just simply saying, I wish I had another dollar which is kind of sad because if you look at his background, he did have some Christian background to him uh, as far as his family, but it doesn't seem like it really played out in his life because it was his goal to be the one who possessed everything, but yet he was very dissatisfied. And I would put it down to the fact that I don't think he had the Savior as far as I can tell. So as you go through this season, rejoice in the fact that even though you may not get everything that you want or all the things that you thought were fantastic and whatever, you are at least this. You have a master in heaven that's a good master and he's yours and he's your possession forever and that's what guarantees you eternity. So rejoice whatever happens and what you don't get and what you do get and even if it breaks over this Christmas season. Don't let that take away your joy because you have more than most people in this world have when you have the Savior and you have Christ. Lord, we thank you. We can at times get our vision blocked 
by thinking that some good or possession is going to bring me the ultimate and satisfaction and and uh, we find ourselves sadly saddened dissatisfied sorrowful when it doesn't turn out that way lord help us to reflect in our world that is so filled with materialism and uh, the getting of goods to make individuals happy may we be individuals that just run a different course we are a light that we're showing that the possessions are not the only thing in our existence but that we have a savior that's far greater that we treasure in heaven that we delight in looking to be in his presence someday so help us to be a right reflection in this christmas season when it comes to our goods and comes to our gifts in this we pray in the name of your son amen